0: Ladies and gentlemen, attention everyone Welcome to No Picks After Dark
1: It's your boy Nick Burr And you are now tuned in to the hottest podcast in the world With Aaron Dante Giving you the hottest interviews with the dopest people Sharing their experiences from your neighborhood all around to the world Voted Best Baltimore Podcast by you, the listeners
0: Now, your host, Aaron Dante Yo Aaron, talk to him Oh man, that was beautiful Welcome to the No Picks After Dark Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. I want to thank all the listeners, the people listening last week. Amazing, amazing numbers. Thank you so much for telling your friends, families. I appreciate you so much. This week, we're keeping up with that heat. Now, Mixtape Volume 2, folks, tell a friend, tell a friend. Thank you so much for all the love and support. Next voice you hear is Mr. Comedian Ivan Martin.
1: What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Them and theirs, him and hers, creatures and mammals and air particles. We are back for another season of No Picks After Dark. Give it up. You know what I'm saying? We back. What's going on, Aaron Dante? What's going
0: on, brother? So happy to have you back this season.
1: That's good, man. That's good. Good to hear from you, man. Well, we back at it. I got a lot of cool things coming down the pipeline. This Labor Day week, we're gonna have some of the most outstanding comedians in the city. For the Baltimore Comedy Festival 5th Annual. So please be sure to check that out. But last but not least. Let's get back to telling the people what's going on. The city. The city is opening back up. Atlanta never shut down. D.C. is opening all the way up. I'm letting you know right now. You cannot take off your mask in Baltimore City though. Alright. Put your mask on your entire face. We ain't know what. You know, I ain't talking about in the county. They got their own type of idea. See Mayor Scott said no. Nope. And those of y'all that know about the domino sign know exactly what I mean. And you pictured exactly what I wanted you to. <laughs> what else is going on here? Well, don't let this weather fool you. You're driving around nine days. You're going to need to have two jackets, an umbrella, and boots in the back. Like last week, it was 90 degrees. This week, it's 50 degrees, and it's raining. Somebody asked me the other day, what season is it? I said, summer, autumn, winter. Summer, autumn, winter. That's what it is. You gotta. I got to get with Webster to see how to spell that. But yeah, summer, autumn, winter. That's what it is. We're getting all of of the seasons all in one. I got to go down to the basement and plug up my sink pump. It's getting out of hand these days, man. It is getting out of hands. Happy summer. We getting to it. And stay safe. We just wrapped up, May. Congratulations to all of you all that enjoyed a beautiful mental health month and had a good time celebrating that. But now we are in June, and it is Happy Pride Month. And somebody asked me the other day, they said, hey, what is a good way to celebrate Pride Month? I said, simple. Just be nice. And respect others' wishes. And I'm going to leave you with that. When you're walking out and about and you bump into somebody and they tell you what they would like to be called by, shut your damn mouth and respect their wishes. And as you walk away, please be nice. And if you pay attention to that very closely and live by those rules, I'm sure this world will be a way better place fast and soon. Thank you all. I'm out. Comedian Ivan Martin, check me out online, Comedian Ivan Martin at Instagram and Facebook. And every Wednesday past June 1st. I'm sorry, every Wednesday past July 1st, catch me at the Motor House. Wednesday night, Art of Comedy. Aaron, love you. See you soon. Love you beautiful people. Out.
0: Visit your neighborhood sanctuary and do wellness for a luxurious experience for everybody. Treat yourself and a loved one with a massage facial, or an entire day of pampering with our deluxe spa day packages that include lunch from the restaurant next door, fire, and rice. For more information on booking or purchasing gift cards, visit their website at endowellness.com or call at 443-438-4048. They look forward to welcoming you and your loved ones to their beautiful new space at Soha Union, located at 4801 Harper Road, Suite 1. Welcome back to the No Picture of Dark podcast, and we're on to our new favorite part of the show. I love this part, Confessions Thursday. It's coming out on Monday, but it happened on Thursday, folks. And Miss Laurel, I, I, she is she is awesome. She's crushing it in the Instagram fear sphere. Like people are typing, DMing, saying all their confessions. So, what do you have for us this week?
2: Ooh, okay. So, um, this was my what was it? My third week doing it, or my I think my third week doing it. Yeah. And, and um, this week we had some good themes like overaltering in terms of um, let's see, like less vulnerable, uh, bad TV shows. People love them. Like they're, they know that they're ridiculous. And also we love them. Like I, my confession for this week was that the other night I fell asleep watching Marrying Millions, which is a lifetime TV show that um, has like a, a season or two on Hulu which is how I watched it and um, it's terrible Aaron it's not good um and it's it's like you know it's all the drama and it's and it's um uh, it's bad it's really bad um but if anybody else has watched it I would love to talk to you about it <laughs> let me know um and then uh, the other other um, themes were like procrastination of this week and I would I would say that this is, this happens a lot um like getting out of bed really late like a couple of people were like i got out of bed earlier than i got right back in and i'm still not out of bed at 10 o'clock or like um here it is nine o'clock and i'm not out of bed yet um or they have a paper due in three days and they haven't done that um or just like not doing important life things like someone told me they hadn't been to the dentist in a long time it was a it was like eight years or something they're afraid of the dentist so they're like putting it off because they don't they don't want to go. Um, yeah. So that was like another good, another good theme. Um, and then again, on the like um, sort of less vulnerable side of things, being really into something or being not into something at all and feeling like, "Ooh, I can't say this out loud to people necessarily because I'm afraid of what they'll think. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm curious to know, do you, is there something that you are really into or not into that is not common or is like a little controversial
0: all right so my guilty pleasure is um it is and I get made fun about this all the time mm-hmm. I like that movie um Valentine's Day with Ashton Kutcher. heck yeah <laughs> <laughs> that is my confession of the week that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> I like New Year's Eve I like those cheesy movies I don't know uh-huh. why but something about him just like makes me happy and sad at all in one time. And I'm like, I can sit there, I can have a hundred things to do, but I'll watch that from start to finish. And I know the whole thing and with the roses. And then he when <laughs> he's goes up the, you know, she goes, it's like the whole thing. I'm getting it for my other lady, and he finds out. And I like I know what happens, but I'm always like watching because it's yeah. cheesy. As yeah, a British, yeah. He's a terrible actor. too. He's
2: a terrible actor. First of all, I really like your 32nd, uh, a version of Valentine's day. That was great. Um, I, <laughs> I think if you ever want to write, you know, like the backs of books, you probably have a job in that. Um, yeah, no, I also love those things. My, I grew up on, um, romantic comedies cause my dad loves them. He has like all of the, like from the 80s to mid 2000 romantic comedies on well, first they were on VHS and now he's slowly creating a DVD collection. I think he's finally replaced all of his VHSs with DVDs. He will not go further than DVDs, though. That's that's his like he's gonna Piers 80 will always have DVDs.
0: <laughs> where can we find you or where can we find you or DM you or slot your DMs or however people do it nowadays?
2: Yeah, so I'm at rest on your laurel on Instagram. That's rest period. Y-R period O-N period Laurel. No, I did that so wrong. Rest on your Laurel. I can't spell out loud. Here's another confession. Anyway, I'm a private account, but request to follow. And if you're a real person and not a creeper or a robot, I will accept you.
0: (laughs) Hey hey, folks, she broke it down for you today. I'm so excited (laughs) to have her on this season. It's going to be so much fun. Thank you so much, Ms. Laurel for coming on the show. All right. Thank you so much, Aaron. The No Picks After Dark podcast is proudly partnered with Remix Bar & Grill. Located at 819 East Pratt Street, just north of Harbor East. Remix is a sports bar offering a sole food menu. With over 20 TVs, pool tables, outdoor patio seating, and private rooms, Remix is set up to be your premier downtown destination to watch all your favorite sporting events. Open from 11 a.m. until 11 p.m. Monday through Thursday, 11 a.m. to 12 a.m., Friday and Saturday, and 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Sunday. Check out Remix Bar and Grill on Instagram and Facebook under at RYMKSBaltimore for daily happy hour specials and weekly events. Remix Baltimore. The next voice you'll hear is Ms. Meyer You can call her Mai.
3: In the middle of every difficulty lies opportunity by Albert Einstein you always have to be able to find a silver lining in every hardship that you may go through we all have to face our own trials and tribulations but it's how you deal with them that matters if you like this quote then you'll love the quotes that I have for you on my podcast I bring you greetings from the purple charm experience podcast where I am the host Chamira E. Fleming, but you can call me my. I share with you my journey as an author. I also share with you my quote of the day, my sip of the week. And if you love Prince, then we get into a little bit of his history too. So join me every Wednesday on the Purple Charm Experience podcast. I'll see you there.
0: The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Zeke's Coffee. Have you tried their coffee yet? I'm telling you. There is something different about it. Maybe it's because they roast their beans in a fluid coffee roaster, which provides the most accurate roasting temperatures and made with love. You will just have to check it out for yourself and try their delicious food while you're at it. Open now for curbside service, carryout, and delivery, and they also do wholesale. Visit Zeke's Coffee at 4719 Harford Road. Open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Sunday, 8 to 5 p.m. Kitchen closes at 3 p.m. Or visit Zeke'sCoffee.com. And you, too, can be fueled by Zeke's. Welcome to the Notepics of the Dark podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante, and I'm so excited you're here with me today. Today, we have a very, very special guest. Uh, this lady's crushing me right now. I mean, she's out here doing big things in Baltimore and beyond. You know, and she's my neighbor, and I never knew this until recently. Without further ado, Ms. Brie. Mason Campbell, how are you doing today?
4: Hey, hey, hey. Thank you for having me. Um, it is an honor and a pleasure to be here with you.
0: I, I am so excited. You know, I mean, you, you're going to drop. From, I tell people this episode, you're going to take them to church. We're going to get communion. <laughs> we're, we're, going to get, we're going to get the, the, the red wine. We're going to get it in. We're going,
4: going to get it end. in. So
0: I know you were limited on time. So, you know, time is money. So let's, let's get into this. So tell the listeners a little bit about you. Tell them about your back. Give them a little of your background. Are you from Baltimore?
4: Well, Baltimore, stand up. I know that, you know, I know that um, sometimes we throw a little shade toward the, the county bounties, as they call us, kids who grew up across the city line. But when I tell people that I went to Woodlawn, then they stop saying that. They're like, oh, well, that counts. You know, well, Woodlawn somehow, um, I'm turning off the tea kettle, in case people are wondering. I I'm. Uh, <laughs> I, I am and um, live and direct from the from the house where the the tea kettle is part of how we get conversations going. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I went to Woodlawn, but you know my mother was grew up on Green Mountain North, and she and her brother were best friends, which meant I was at his house every day after school. So you know I took the number eleven down martin luther king boulevard and got off at pigtown and went to my uncle george's house you know across from being at railroad museum and that's where i grew up i grew up going to you know corner stores eating now laters, playing up and down the streets and alleys doing stomp cheers with the kids from around the way so yes i grew up in the county but i grew up in the city it's just it's part of it you know that's part of it to, to be it. back and forth at aunt's house at godmother's house you know
0: i love that i love that i love yeah. that i grew up in um Randallstown. And then I used to hang out all the time in the city hall oh, by, okay. by, by my diamond. So I I used to live near Milford Mill swimming club, if you know about that, on Liberty Road off Washington. Oh yeah. So, yes, yes. So I used to go always in the yeah. city hall time. I've had people who lived on Park Heights, a diamond. Um but it was good times, you know, it was good times when I was my my youth. So what is one of your favorite childhood memories of growing up in Baltimore? The Baltimore area. <laughs> oh
4: man. Um, you know there, I mean, there's so much. But I used to, I mean, I, that number eleven bus popped in my head. Taking a bus after school was a, a thing. It was like a moment of freedom, you know. There was all this really public transportation. Maybe people in other cities take this for granted. I'm sure, like kids in New York, take this for granted. But there's not so so much public transport in this city. So to so I went to Bryn Mawr for middle school, and Bryn Mawr is predominantly white school. But like most of the Black kids, not all of them, but most of the Black kids, you know, we rode the bus together after school. And um, uh, we would be out there on that corner at, um, you know, Roland and Northern Parkway and we would, suddenly it was like our space again. We had been in these various private schools because that was a corner where the Roland Park girls would meet the Bryn Mawr girls and we would have like this Black space. We'd been in like, white space all day but then together on those on that corner talking to each other how we talked what we said where we were going the neighbors we were going to what the conversation was about it was suddenly this like restorative space and like just laughing together on the bus every day and um going through the city and just having that measure of independence I remember the first time i ever took the bus my uncle george followed the bus all the way i was going to his house But my mother like insisted, she didn't want me on the bus by myself. So he like was behind the bus and followed the bus on its whole route through the city until I got off um, at his house. But I just remember just laughing on those and talking and seeing things and just feeling like not grown up, but capable. There was like a certain level of like, I'm able to take care of myself in this way. Like I'm trusted with this measure of independence. It's just, it's a good memory. I mean, I could go on and on about what it's like to grow up in Baltimore and Lexington <laughs> market and oysters on the half shell and, oh man. I mean, those are, with the fish market that used to be where the power plant live is, people are not gonna remember that. But when I was a little girl, they had like live eels swimming around in buckets in there. But let's go to the fish market. <laughs> and those are the things that are, warm my heart most when I think of my city. I think about that stuff. Some of it doesn't exist anymore. But um, I remember.
0: I love that because uh, one of my fondest memories. Remember, you brought it back for me. Was um, every Friday night we were on Rogers Town Road. Get the Lake Trout.
4: Ooh. Oh yes.
0: Yeah, the Lake Trout every we Friday would night. We
4: in that line yes, after the paradox. We would. Some mm. people would go to what was it
0: called? Jack? Oh, what was it called? That place?
4: Jack oh Pistro. man, they would get cheesesteaks there after mm. the paradox.
0: I can't even think of it. I know, it I know exactly what you're talking about. I can't think of it right now. I
4: can't think of it. But we wouldn't go there. We would drive all the way up Risingtown Road and go to Lake Trout and get that lake trout. Oh, yes. As my nephew would say, that lake trout was busting. He's like, it was busting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Leslie, so where'd, where'd you end up going? where you going to your undergrad? Where'd you end up going to college? So
4: Yeah. So um I went to undergrad at Temple, um, Temple University in Philly. Shout out to the Philly Johns out there.
0: (laughs) I love it. Did you like it there?
4: You know, Temple was amazing. I think that um, uh, Philly has this town feeling, a feeling of like neighborhoods and and being known in the way that Baltimore does. It has like us people you can know and be known. Um, in a way that it seems like in the biggest cities in the in the country, it's there's a lot more anonymity. But in Philly, you have gotta watch what you're doing because somebody's gonna see what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like it still has that small town element about it. But it is—it's got just style. You know, like that's one of those like Black Power cities, like like Chicago. So like in the thrift stores, they got the dope clothes because you like all those g's from the day had like the the vicious fashion to go with like the the vicious like vision you know what i mean like so you want dope furniture like even the thrift furniture stores it was like always like crushed velvet orange purple something you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but um and the music is so good i mean they have this really strong like black church cultures that means that the the professional musicians are amazing i remember this place we used to go will aminos music soul child you know, used to just play there every Thursday night. So we would go out and, you know, we didn't know he was going to go be some giant star. Same thing like The Roots, Jill Scott, all those people, they were just like in the club, like doing local performances before they like blew up. Um, But that's, that was like the vibe in Philly. People had really had, they had the right training to take those next steps. Like they had access to those resources and the city just loved you back. You know what I mean? Like that city was the best place to party. I mean, the house dance culture is Rennie Harris pure movement was there. That was an incredible place to be. I love Philly. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. It was a great place to, to kind of go through those formative years, those university years. It was great.
0: So what did you do at the, what did you have to do at the temple? where did you go after that?
4: Well, I went to Harvard after temple and okay. it was like a mistake really <laughs> like, you know, I, um, I think some kids, you know, from the very beginning, they grow up with parents saying, I mean, I come from that black background where, you know, we're telling our kids you're gonna to go to college because we know that we want more for our kids. And what is more, more means college, right? But it's very general. When you don't come from a kind of generations of college educated folks, college is like unexplored territory that maybe you don't know how to navigate those systems. But friends of mine that I met along the way, they knew those systems. They knew the difference between Amherst and Rice and Bowdoin. And, you know, they know that Bowdoin exists. (laughs) You know what I mean? They know that Swarthmore exists. These weren't things on my radar at all. You know, I knew about like Penn State, like I knew, I knew kind of like, the meat and potatoes version of what university is about. I really didn't understand what Oxford was about or, you know, Stanford or University of Chicago. I didn't know those things and it wasn't, so I had to navigate all that on my own. So here I was, you know, Phi Beta Kappa, Magna Cum Laude. Uh, So having those tools that some people are really pushing to get, I just, that's just was me going to school. My mother was like, do well at school. So I did well at school and one of my, um, Mentors, Katie Cannon, may she rest in peace. She was like, "Um, what are you doing with all of this?" And I was like, "What? You know what? Like, I didn't really know what Phi Beta Kappa was. To me, it was just like being on an honor roll. Like, I didn't get that it was like a big deal." And um, she's like, "Well, you should apply to Harvard." And I was like, "I can't go there. It's like rich white boys go there. Like, really? That's what I thought." She's like, "No, kids with these kind of grades go there." And I was like, "All right." She's like, "Well, just apply." She's like. I'll write you a letter. And I remember getting that it, that acceptance letter. I remember it. I remember I hadn't even opened it, but remember there's like the little letter and then the thick packet. My my roommate and Lisa Siasi, she came in and she like she was like you got mail from Harvard. And when it passed the door frame, it was the big envelope. I flipped out. I broke stuff. I like kicked the desk over. I was like screaming. Um, but it was, that was incredible. You want to talking about access to resources. I think that's the point of these things. It just opened a door. Like Widener Library is like Disney World. I mean, it's just like anything you want, any your wildest dreams, you can get it there. Um, And the people come from all over the planet to come to school there. So the networks are incredible. And I really had a chance to just focus on what my questions were, which is such a, giant privilege not everybody gets that time to just (laughs) i'm gonna spend some years thinking you know what i mean (laughs) but um it was it was good stuff
0: the No picks after dark podcast is proudly sponsored by maggie's farm located at 4341 hartford road maggie's farm offers a unique dining experience with delicious handcrafted cocktails and mouth awarding cuisine from falafel to scallops and everyone's favorite honey sriracha cauliflower wings open for dinner from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m., Wednesday through Saturday, and serving brunch Saturday 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. with delectable chicken and waffles, shrimp and grits, biscuits and gravy, and more. Check out Maggie's Farm on Instagram and Facebook for daily and weekly food specials as well. So you, so you went to Harvard and so you went to philly so Baltimore to philly to harvard and then you ended up in atlanta correct
4: yeah well i was one of my visiting professors when i was at harvard um dr walter fluker was um working with the leadership center at morehouse and there was a couple of us he took under his wing when we were at harvard and we needed that you know because you know we were black folks just out there just out there swimming in that sea of of things that we weren't always really um, well versed in, like I said, like I, I don't, I didn't know how to navigate that system. I was just thrown in the deep end. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you're a good swimmer, then they throw you in the ocean. That's a whole different thing than this pool, okay? Mm-hmm. So it was. I was out there in this ocean, and he was an ocean lifeguard. So I appreciated that because he really had our back. He was one of bring these little black swimmers along, like, yeah, y'all can swim. This is the ocean. Let me help you out. Mm-hmm. So he has. And um, Atlanta versus Baltimore. You know, in Baltimore, you go to Guilford or Homeland, and it's like all white and all wealthy. And then you go to Sandtown; it's all black, and it's you know, it, that measure of wealth is just not present. You go to Atlanta; if you're in the projects on Roach Street, it's black. If you in the in the prefab Ryland homes down Peachtree, it's all black. If you're in the villas where you can land a helicopter, it's all black. And this blew my mind. Like black, black wealth and black poverty in the same space. Like in Baltimore, it was like, oh, white wealth and black poverty. So the conversation was so polarized here in terms of how do we address poverty because it it was around racial lines. Also, in Atlanta, that that wasn't the issue. Here we were, and Dr. Sluker's like we, you know, this is a leadership program because we need to work on ethics in our own community because these kids are going to be the next owners of these fortune 500s. And if we, if, if we don't do the work as a community to get our own community on our mind and say, well, how do we bring, bring ourselves forward? How do we care about, you know, am I my brother's keeper basically like, you know, we'll just be spending our money on shoes and, you know, (laughs) Hey, I get it. i get it um, that sounds so trite that doesn't sound like wh- how i want it to sound but you know i just i ended up not staying in atlanta because i don't know it wasn't home it just it didn't feel like really those kids driving up to morehouse getting dropped up in off in lexuses and they had i mean this was 2000 they had a valet at the mall you know they had stores i'd never heard of you know, like brands I hadn't heard of. I was like, this is such a place of wealth. Like it just didn't seem like they needed help. I mean, I got what Dr. Fluker was saying about the kind of help we need to like really look in and say, well, how do we help one another? But um, what we were facing here in Baltimore was of a, such a particular nature and so personal to me that I really was committed to coming back and, and doing work here.
0: And what and what was the first thing you did when you committed, came back to work in Baltimore? Like, what? Did,
4: Well, I got on idealist.com because I was like looking for a job, but I was looking for a job that was like woke. You know, woke wasn't a word there, but I was, woke wasn't a word in 2002 when I came back. People weren't saying that. But I was interested in some people who were really trying to do something transformative, people who were really trying to fix it. Because, you know, at 25, I was like, we can fix it, it, fix it. (laughs) Like, you know, like it was a destination I was headed versus the process i was going to live which is what i'm understanding now that you need to live a process um and live it as much for as much time as you're given and then pass the the tools for that process on and you know the next generation will evolve the tools because the the landscape changes but we have to live a process i don't know that fix it is is really a, a a goal that makes sense um I mean, of course, you should be pushing in that direction all the time, but I don't know that it was something that was going to happen in my lifetime. So, um, you know, I found this place, New Song Urban Ministries, and they had a, a church and a health center and a drug rehab center, a job center that was working against recidivism, and that had a school and an art center. And I was like, oh, these people get holistic they get a holistic approach. It's not just we're going to do this one thing, we're going to work on healthcare, we're gonna work on your spiritual well being, we're going to work on addiction issues, we want to make sure you're employed, we have a Habitat for Humanities, we're going to make sure you can be a homeowner. Yeah. And you can have you know, it was just like, full circles, like, I'm gonna go talk to these people. And I went and it was like, <laughs> I think, I think Harvard gave me this idea that I was going to go like work for a think tank in DC and like make decisions about what people should do. Like, I was going to go tell people what to do. And that was going to be my job. It's like, no, honey, servant leadership. What does the, what does the community need and how can you use your skills and gifts to help with whatever that is? And I had to learn that. Like I spent 18 years there trying to figure that out, trying to figure out how to be responsive to felt needs. What does the community need and how do I, how do I fit into that, to what the community needs? So I ended up I was going to go do this professorship like when when I was in Atlanta and thinking I was going to go be a professor. That was the way I was headed. But suddenly it's like, oh, I'm a grade school teacher. Okay. That's what we need here. That's what's needed. That's what our schools need. Okay. Um, But I mean, it's true. Like I remember being an undergraduate, learning all this stuff about diaspora and like, I never really put together why people in Jamaica and Cuba and haiti and america were black like i didn't understand that all those ships that came from africa stopped all those places like i didn't understand that we are like cousins like with all this shared ancestry Uh, why did it take whatever thirty thousand dollars a year before i could get that you know like that stuff that i think is basic like that third graders should understand that like what diaspora is so my and i felt like and i still feel i still truly feel that Um, and I've taken a page like from in my head, again, this is outside of looking in. So this may not be how they really experience it. When I think about the Jewish community, I think about what I know, agnostic Jews, atheist Jews, you know, secular Jews who all went to Hebrew school because didn't matter what you, where you were religiously, ethnically, you need to understand who you are, where you come from, and you're going to learn how to speak your language. You're going to sing these songs. You're going to keep the Passover you know, because never again. And we have things to do. We whether or not people are atheists or agnostic or religious, like there's this commitment to being change makers in the world. So I think what's black people's version of um, Hebrew school? Like, what is it that we need to know about ourselves that would help us say never again, and we have work to do? So I've been really committed to that. To say, okay, well, maybe if we know what diaspora is in, in first, second, third grade, and maybe if we know more about Black history than Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks, maybe if these kids come out here and they know about, you know, the role that Don Cornelius played in, in the Civil Rights Movement with how pivotal Soul Train was, getting Black faces, Black bodies into every living room in America, and you know, having commercials for, for Ultra Sheen like what that did for the, for our self-esteem and for the world's consciousness around us. Like if we really got out of these very narrow boxes and didn't just look at um, we shall overcome as a civil rights song, but say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud as a civil rights song. Like that, that did some of that work. What if we, what if I really peel back some layers and work with kids over years and years and years, you know, discussing and investigating and looking at black history through a, a much broader lens. We learn about the Gullah Islands and the retaining culture there and about the Great Migration, and what that's all about. Maybe we too can have a healthier community because we know it ourselves better. And that had been my goal. I mean, I, I spent those years at in Sandtown just training, learning what does it mean to be a teacher? What does it mean to be a servant leader? What does it mean to... um to operate with grace? What does it mean to to put relationship before everything else? People don't care what you know till they know that you care. You're not just in here to, to try to do some racial uplift, you know, kind of Black middle-class hotepery where you're, you just want everybody to pull their pants up and stop saying eight or whatever. Like, that's not what this is about. How do you really get to know people and be involved in their lives and then how do we affect change in that way, you know? And then in... And then the backdrop to all that, rest in peace, city paper. I mean, we need city paper back. I mean, that's just, talk about a tragic loss. But um, seeing like the constant, like the murders and like the ongoing challenges that we have with um, a genocide that's going on in our community, Um, that's on top of like being assaulted from the outside. So we've got two things going on. Like we're under assault, from like the criminal legal system that criminalizes our bodies and that we have a genocide going on inside our community. And both things are happening at the same time. And I'm, I'm interested in, in addressing both of them. Um, and I think the culture right now is very focused, as it should be, on addressing the way that the criminal legal system is criminalizing our bodies. And it seems like we've taken a turn away from looking at the way that we, what, how gen, how and why genocide is happening. But that, but my approach, arts education and community education is about that. Like, if we can lo- know ourselves better and love ourselves more, can we then open up more avenues for feelings of control and success so that we don't turn down these dead end streets that lead to genocide and gun violence um, because it's painful. I mean, it's just painful for all of us. I mean, I went to so many funerals in Sandtown, I can't even tell you. Wow.
0: Pipe Wrench is a new online magazine. You'll find links to conversation pieces, playlists, essays, poems, and more by folks from all walks of life responding to the ideas the main feature. Each issue is like a dinner party full of thoughtful, fascinating people inspiring each other to build on each other's work, references, and ideas. You can read more from Pipe Wrench and subscribe online at www.pipewrenchmag.com. So we're going to switch subjects a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit, and we're going to go into Pipe Wrench Magazine. Oh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about Pipe Wrench Magazine. How did they find you? Who who were the founders? And how did this all, all come about with Pipe Wrench so you can express huh. them those express some of those feelings that you're talking about into words
4: yeah you know um i went to school with michelle weber who is um the i don't want to get her title wrong is she the editor-in-chief
0: editor and editor-in-chief sorry editor-in-chief there you go
4: okay so michelle weber and i went to harvard together and she's editor-in-chief of pipe wrench and Michelle and I kept in touch over the years, you know, but she had been living outside of the country. I hadn't seen her in years. I haven't seen Michelle. I think. I don't know. Like, she's never met my last two children. Like, that's how long I haven't seen her. And this one will be nine in a, in a little bit. But um, she has met my oldest, I believe. I think it's been at least I've seen her at least in the last 13 years. But anyway, I'm like here, you know, going through that emotional, I don't know, whatever we were going through, trying to process it with Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, like trying to process it in the middle of a pandemic, you know, like, but <laughs> like we can't go outside. When we do go outside, this is what y'all do? Like, um, and Michelle calls me about the clear blue sky. Like I hadn't talked to her, like I said, it's at least 10 years, right? And she's like, um, you know, uh, I could you write an article in response to this thing? And I was like, me? You know, like I hadn't like I've always, always, always wanted to be a writer. It was the first thing I ever wanted to be. When I was a little girl, I used to sit with a typewriter and type on a typewriter or write stories. It was what I always wanted to be first, was the first thing I ever really wanted to be. Then I wanted to be an archaeologist, and then you know, you know, I'm a kid. I watched too many Indiana Jones movies and I thought that's what an archaeologist was. I was like, I'ma go, you know, travel the world. Um So I did, I wrote this article for her, but then she left the publication where she was and she was like, Well, you know, I I just wanna hold on to this article. She's like, I think I'm gonna start a magazine next year. And I think in I think this article would be a great fit for that work that we're gonna do. And I was like, All right, you know, whatever, get back to me. So like I said, it was like six months later, maybe even eight. She was like, Hey, remember I told you we're gonna start a magazine, we are, and it's launching on on you know, in April. Uh, can we get this, uh, take the article that you started and basically double, cause it's a long read. I mean, it's gonna be like a, you know, a longer article and do this and that and the third. And I was like, okay. So I did the work and I'm telling you it was cathartic because I was able to like put it into work. I was able to like sit with ideas and move them around. And, and really, you know how it is when you walk away from somebody like, I should have said this, you know, after a conversation when you're, Maybe angry about how it went, and now you're thinking of the perfect thing to say. The nice thing about writing is that you really get to sit with it until you've said what you really want to say. It's not always like that because you can have a quick deadline and you turn in a work and it's not quite what you wanted. But um, I wrote the piece, and she's a great editor. Like she came back and pushed me in some areas and asked questions and asked me to, you know, flesh this out more or consider this or, you know, what about that? And I really feel like, um, I really, I I feel like, I feel happy about the work. Like, yes. Yep. If you have a question, just read it. Like, there you go. There it is.
0: So it was a scene in the dark, correct?
4: Seeing in the dark. Yeah.
0: In the dark. Okay. Okay. And, you know, I know we want people to go out and read it, but you talk about good, you talk about good, nice white folk, a little bit in the the Mm article. You talk about code switching a little bit in the article. You talk about one situation where you talked about your son coming back from the barbershop and you're supposed to pick him up or whatnot. I don't want to misquote it, but from what I he came back home running home and get the audiences. I mean, I'm just giving them little snips and give them little pieces because I want them to go out and read the article. But I'm giving them little pieces that stuck out to me. Um, give them little pieces of the three things I was said about I me mean, about the code switching that nice white folk. Um, and that your son coming from the barbershop. So,
4: the nice white folk thing. And I know, you know, we've talked so much over these last two years about like white fragility and what it means to be an ally and really trying to get over the Karen situation. And I know people are tired. People are to the point where they're like, look, stop beating up on us. You know, it, that's not what it is. What it is it is like, um, huh. have you seen The Color Purple? Yes, I have. So, there's this woman in The Color Purple, Miss Millie. And Miss Millie considers herself a nice white woman. And she, uh, but she has all these visceral reactions to Black people. So (laughs) in this scene, she's yelling, but I've always been good to you people. I've always been good to coloreds. But it was in the middle of calling them you people and calling them coloreds and demanding that Sophia leave with her right then, even though the poor woman hadn't seen her children in all these years because she'd been in jail or whatever. But I sometimes feel like. right in the middle of trying to be super nice. People just miss it, miss the thing that they're doing, which is, and it's hard because number, our number one go-to as humans is being defensive, right? And sometimes we don't get past that. Um, but, um, you know, I uh, one of my best friend's mom passed away on Monday. And even though my mother passed away, you know, three years ago now, I still didn't know what to say. We don't always know what to do when something is going wrong. Nice white folk are changing their Facebook profile pictures, they're saying Black Lives Matter, they go out to marches, and then they still go home to live in a neighborhood where there's no black people, or they still take their children out of the area of school and put them in a white school, or they still um, think that the lottery is a, is a fair system to decide who goes to a school not realize that the person that told them about the lottery is white and everyone who applied is white now all of a sudden everybody in a grade is white and you're like well it was a lottery yeah for you and your friends like and by the time the black folks find out about this opportunity at this school the child in your womb has been gar- grandfathered in so the whole next class is going to be white too like these kinds of things they just miss and um what can we do to slow the process down? So it's not, it's, if, if, if if the quick fix, I'm not saying don't change your facial profile. I'm not saying don't go to a march. I'm not saying don't donate. I'm just saying those were quick fixes, like staging your house for sale, but we really needed a new roof, right? Like you stage the house, it's cute. You put up some pictures, you know, you, you get a cleaner to come in, you reface the cabinets but I feel like sometimes we're staging we're staging racial reconciliation you know we're out our black friends and we're you know we're putting up certain pictures and we're saying things and we're reading articles but okay what major life change have you undergone as a result of this like that woman who goes to the bus stop every morning even when it's raining have you offered her and her kids a ride yet to say hey i'm going your way every day can i can i help drive you like i noticed that nice is is distant have you closed the distance between yourself and somebody because if not that's just staging and it's cute Houses look cute when they stage but we really want to know what the the bones of the house are about right Mm. so let's let's move a little step past staging the next thing the code switching piece (laughs) i mean what do i want to say about this i um i Elizabeth Warren was on um, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, talking about Ballers, some show on HBO I had never watched. I flipped by it a thousand times like that's not my cup of tea. But then Elizabeth Warren was like, you'll watch this show. And I watched it. Right. What I noticed is the women who work in this industry because it's like a male dominated industry, it's football and later on, it's basketball and some other extreme sports they get called sweetheart, they get called doll, you know, this like they, they show up to work dressed to the nines all this time. I mean, the men look good too. Everybody's dressed up nice, but the women breast out, butters out, legs are out, hair, makeup, weave, whatever. And women of all colors get this, you get that the world tends to be a male dominated space where you're going to put up with a little bit of sweetheart, you're going to put up with some flirting, you're going to put some makeup on because it makes the guys in the office nicer to you. And it's terrible and it's tacky and we push him back, but it is what it is. Do you get that all the Black people in your life, men, women, trans, gay, straight, everybody is doing the same thing around you all the time, all the time trying to figure out how to be around you in a way that we can get along that even though you're doing things that are across the line all the time, we're just putting up with it a little bit because you're in control. You're in power all the time. Are you thinking about that? And I think they don't. Um, And then the degree that to, to whatever additional markers for your identity you have. So, okay, you're black but now you're black and female, or maybe you're black and trans, or you're black and trans, and, 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 and. whatever the ands are in terms of your social location and whatever other kind of um, oppressed group you're a part of, it becomes more and more and more switching you have to do. I've heard, like, I've had friends of mine who are gay talk about having to try to butch it up a little bit, you know, like deepen the voice or, you know, shift the hand harder to try to, to try to kind of present straight as a way to kind of solidify their their position someplace. Um, because when you present as any kind of other, it dimin- diminishes your power. So I mean, that's what code switching is about. And people are having to do it for you all the time. Like white folks, I don't think that they get that. Um, and um, per- me the thing with my son's barbershop you know <laughs> what mm, what i want to say so there is a trend in the city of people like carrying drugs on bikes because once you're carrying drugs in a car it's like a fe- I, i'm not a i'm i don't have a jd this is not my area but i know that carrying drugs in a car comes with a different level of legal rep- ramifications and if you were on a bike because a car is a mo- whatever some kind of whatever so when my son's outside on a bike i'm freaking out because there, there's so much drug activity in the city i don't want him to be mistaken for a camel carrying drugs because he's outside on a bike like these kinds of things that i think like white parents don't think of like if my son's outside on a bike without a helmet if he's on a bike with a helmet he's middle class right we're not looking at him but if he's on a bike without a helmet he's not like it's the clothes it's all, that's more code switching like more of the code switching conversation but my son's outside running because he walked to the barber shop or actually i drove him to the barber shop i, I told him i was going to pick him up he said he'd walk back and it's only what five bucks away but i guess he got nervous like because you know the first time he walked back on his own so he started running. And like a running black man, oh my god! I'm like, you know, because he's like tall and thin and handsome. He's got a new haircut. you boy and say, "There's somebody running." I'm like petrified that somebody's going to do him harm because they mistake him, mistake his actions. Just black, you know, white man running. He's exercising. Black man running. Would you steal? Would you do? Who'd you hurt? Where are you going? And it's just like, oh god, like. Having to navigate that that level of stress all the time is so much work. It's so much work all the time having to carry around that stress. And it's not unfounded. It's not just like anxiety based on nothing. These, this is like real. You know, like Tamir Rice is outside. Was he 11, 12? Tamir Rice playing with a, a toy gun and get shot. And the gun was like green. It was like a Nerf gun. Like it wasn't like it was like it looked like a Glock right so yeah
0: so i'm i'm gonna i know we're hard on time right now but i got got two more questions for me two more so i know um so what is it like you know working with pipe wrench and like what was what were the readers response from when you did it like how was the response you got from them
4: working with pipe wrench was incredible um the the way that they have set the mag up so there's like a center. it's like dinner it is supposed to be a dinner party right so there's like a main course and there's a bunch of sides so the sides complement the main course you know so all the other contributors read the main course article and then contribute something write something in response write something that complements it so that that was really affirming especially when you stand up to say something that's as unpopular as we need to really check the way that uh, we're being brutalized by the criminal legal system, and it's you know it's officers like let like let's look at this like that's a hard thing to stand up and talk about, um, cause you're pulling a race card or you're being divisive or you're attacking the people or whatever you know whatever the reasons that are given to um silence us, um, so to have a bunch of people kind of say we got your back and we feel you and we echo you feels really good. So that was great. Um, and um,
0: like, I mean, reading the responses that, that, that really, it really felt good hearing what people had to say about your article and whatnot, and,
4: you know, and then people like tweeting it and sharing it. And I was like, oh, wow. And I just, cause you want it to change right way back to the beginning of this, which is I'm here to fix it. Right. Like I realized maybe this isn't going to fix in my lifetime the same way that like Dr. King and them tried to fix it, you know, and. Before that, Sojourner Truth and them tried to fix it. Like every generation, we're trying to fix it. And it just becomes a different version of something that needs it. So, but I, I would hope that like those words would get out there. They would touch somebody's heart and people would change. Like, like that's the dream to like, to change it, to fix it. Like I'm, I, I'm so heartbroken by all of this. I just want it to get better. So, people wrote things such complimentary things about my writing. Like, they wrote that it was like, you know, astounding and phenomenal. And they wrote very nice things about my writing. And people have called and reached out to me and said great things. I just, I just hope that it leads to systemic change, not house staging. You know, like we need, we need some real foundation work. Like there's a crack in the foundation of our house here as a country. We need to address it. It can't just be more staging. You can't put up a picture to cover that crack. You know what I mean?
0: And you have article coming out on June fifteenth. Another one. Yes. Yes. The fifteenth
4: is the next. Um, the next issue of Pipe Branch will be released, and I wrote one of the side articles this time. There's a different main dish. Um, and I wrote a side, and I'm excited about it. I really, I don't know how much I can tell. I don't want to give it away. Um, but it opened my eyes um, about you know what's. It was eye opening. It was something I had not did not know anything about, and I learned, and I've I found space in it um, to to understand some things better about myself and my community. And I, I highly recommend it. I think people should read it.
0: Okay. So people, you know, wrench is ww.pipeprintmag.com. And that's how you can it. It's a subscription-based. And I definitely would tell people to read your article. Your article was touching. It was strong. It was provocative. It was provocative. I, I mean, I felt everything. I felt, oh,
4: thank like you. I, when I
0: was reading about your son running down the street, I felt everything that you were talking about. I felt that. And for me to feel that, knowing that I could have been that black boy running down the street. And, you know, he's he's, he's running for the police, but he's jogging. The different stereotypes out there that's out there that we think about every day. And I really appreciate you expressing your feelings on that. And I really recommend people to go out. Check out Piper's. Like I said, it's it's, it's, it's really. Yeah,
4: let's check it it's, out.
0: It's dope. It's some stuff that people, you know, subscri- subscri- uh, subscription based. But it's worth it. Like you said, it's a dinner. Never bad appetizers, you all the side dishes all around. And again, are you going to write another article coming out of Pipe Ranch or are you, are you done? Are you just going to keep on? Doing well,
4: that, you, I had my main course. I had my side, you know, and, you know, the work as a writer, is a, that's a lot of work. You know what I mean? It's beautiful and it's rewarding and it's a lot. So we'll see. I mean, like I told you, it was the first thing I ever wanted to do, the first thing I ever wanted to be. So I imagine it'll be something that I'm going to continue to do. You know, God grant me the strength, time and inspiration, something I want to do.
0: Where can we find you on social media? People want to reach out. They want to check out something in in the community. Where can we find you?
4: Oh, yeah. Well, you should definitely check out GuardianBaltimore.com. You can find out about um, my dance company. We didn't talk about that. You know, there's so much to talk about, but yeah. GuardianBaltimore.com is a great place to start. It'll tell you all about the work that we're doing with Moving History, um, which is a, an, a kinetic African-American history education program, like literally learning the history of African-Americans through movement. And all of our social media stuff is there. I'm um, you know, so we're on Twitter and we're on Facebook and we're on IG. So look for Guardian Dance Company out there and um, follow us.
0: Thank you so much for your time. We might have to do a part two. Paul could talk about that also. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Check this issue out. It's coming out. New one's June fifteenth. It'll be a day right after this comes out. And I really appreciate you taking us to the church because you opening up and telling us about your life, how you grew up, and things you saw, and things you that you experienced. Thank you. Our audience is going to love this because this is the week of Juneteenth. So yes. I'm, just, I'm very excited that, that that you really went into
4: Galveston.
0: Yeah, yes, yes, yes. All
4: right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: Have a good one. Thank you. We're out, folks. <laughs>